0: Arreta, Arreta, which of course is Basque for Achtung, Achtung. Not that Spaniards in the Basque country were allowed to use their language during World War II. Franco suppressed to use the Basque, Catalan and Galician. But, anyway. but
1: it didn't stop um, some Basques going into Paris and no, of leading the way in... Of course, not. of course not, and that's
0: James Holland of course um, uh, there I'm Al Murray and we're releasing this episode on November the 11th which is of course Remembrance Day
1: yeah and it's always uh, it's always a moving day and it's always a time for just pausing and reflecting a little bit and yep. we were thought thinking it would be nice to do a little podcast today and one a uh, person that I wanted to bring up was Keith Douglas yeah um, there's an awful lot about First World War poets see if you've seen Wilfred Owen etc cetera, etc cetera, and um, not much about Second World War poets but there were some very talented ones and I think Keith Douglas is very much top of the part well he's the one I've always known about um,
0: uh, I remember when because uh, you know inevitably I did uh, Wilfred Owen for O-level for that long ago it was long you know ran about the time of the Falklands was that long ago <laughs> but, but we did we did Wilfred Owen and Siegfried Sassoon and all that stuff Robert Graves goodbye to all that we did all that in English O-Level and I remember like wandering off piste and discovering a Second World War poet this guy Keith Douglas and I, I and I used to think well why 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 aren't there any more why don't we know any more what's the what does it all mean but i that's not what we're here to talk about. He was a brilliant writer.
1: He's a brilliant writer, and he's a really interesting man, and he joins my favourite armoured regiment of all time, which is the Sherwood Rangers Yeomanry, which is this TA regiment, um, Yeomanry Regiment. And they're extraordinary, really, because they go off to war in, in September 1939. They get sent to um, Palestine. There's this amazing photograph of them at summer camp in Lord Yarborough's estate in August 1939, and they're all looking like sort of 50 years out of date on their charges, you know, with lever Sam Browns and, and sort yeah. of you know and ammunition pouches, all lever, lever, lever uh, and, and looking very spick and span. And they go off, they look completely ill suited kind of to a modern war. They go off their charges to Palestine. They're involved in one of the not the last, but one of the last sabres drawn cavalry charges of war against Arab insurrectionists. <laughs> they later on their their, their horses in early nineteen forty have a stampede and they're taken away from them. And then kind of massively infra dig for them, they're made into artillery and some of them get sent to Crete and some of them get sent to Tobruk and they're in the siege of Tobruk An a squadron which then becomes a battery um, is uh, commanded by um, a chap called Stanley Christopherson and David his son is a great mate of mine and yeah. I ended up editing Stanley's wartime diaries and later on they then you know once Britain manages to make enough tanks then they get become mechanized Right. And their first action, having been mechanised, having got over Crete, having got over, over the siege of Tobruk, got over the losing of their horses and all the rest of it, is the Battle of Alam Halfa, which is the last time Rommel goes forward in the in the desert in Egypt um, at the very end of August, beginning of September 1942, and a precursor to the Second Battle of Alamein. And as the war progresses, they perform better and better and better. And what's really interesting by studying... Stanley Christopherson's diaries is you sense that there is this growing pride they've gone over and it's all a bit kind of jolly hockey sticks and you know all a bit of a laugh and all the rest of it and they're they're rank amateurs and they become more and more professional and by the time it's post Alamein you see them sort of going you know they really want to train and learn and be better because they recognise that there is a pride about this but there's also their chances of survival are better if they're better you know if they're better trained and better at being soldiers and you know, there's lots of analysis about all arms training with infantry and and artillery and all the rest of it, and, and they have this quite traumatic time. They lose a number of, of sort of key characters in the in the in the um, in the regiment, um, but after the Tunisian battle ends in May 1943, they're then pulled out and sent back over to Britain to be um, the spearhead of the invasion. They land on Gold Beach on D Day, um, move into Bayeux on the 7th of June, and then on the 8th of June they're um on the, they're overlooking tilly sur where they come kind of slap bang crash into the the Panzler as they're coming up from Lamorna. Yeah. Panzer of course is is the um um is is probably the best panzer unit in the Wehrmacht at that stage. Um and they're the ones that have to confront them. And they stop them in their tracks. Yeah. Um and by this stage Douglas Keith Douglas, who is joined the regiment before Alamein, he's a grammar school boy. He's not a hunt and shoot and fishing, you know, He's not a chap. He's not a chap, and he's not from the Shire. He's incredibly short-sighted. He's incredibly vain. He's incredibly chippy. But he's also an incredibly sensitive soul. And he describes the people that he's with and serving with, with ultimately, I think, a huge amount of affection. And... It's very interesting that that he's quite rude about Stanley Christopherson, who he calls Edward in Alamein to Zemzem, which is his brilliant memoir, which is also illustrated by his equally brilliant sketches, yeah. incredibly vivid sketches of, of life of war in the in the western desert. He calls him Edward and and you know, he always sort of makes out that Edward is a slightly sort of slight um not very sort of, you know, not a man of any kind of depth whatsoever, which I think is really, really unfair. Yeah. But what Stanley really objects to, more that he doesn't mind that when he reads the manuscript, what he really objects to is the fact that Keith Douglas has criticized his ability as a dancer. <laughs> and that's what really gets his goat. And he gets him to change it, but not the kind of character assassination. <laughs> but anyway, on the 9th of June, they're pushing down into a little village called Saint-Pierre, which is on the other side of the Seoul from Tilly, yep. Seoul. And um, uh, no, on the 8th of June, this is where they first come against the first German troops. And um, uh, Keith Douglas sees these Germans coming towards them, fires a couple of pistol shots and runs away. Yeah. Uh, and that's the first clash against the Pansalea. And The next day, they're in battle, Their engagement. A squadron is in battle. And for no reason whatsoever, Keith Douglas gets out of his tank to go and yeah. talk to someone else and gets hit by a shard of shrapnel yeah. and is killed instantly gets a uh, gets a bit of shrapnel on the head and he's killed instantly and he's buried at the Tilly um cemetery like a lot of these cemeteries when they're smaller they're often a lot more moving than the big ones where you're sort of just swamped by yeah. you're overcome by the enormity and size of it but sometimes when you're in these little cemeteries you've got a chance to look at literally every grave yeah. and there he is Interestingly, on the hill that was occupied by the Panzer Lair, not not the Sherwood Rangers, until obviously it was captured by the Sherwood Rangers later yeah. on. But, but it's, a, it's an interesting spot. And um, he did write this fantastic account of yeah. these guys just at the point where they're, they're tipping from being rank amateurs to really rather good. Yeah. And I think what's interesting about the Sherwood Rangers is you can use them as a leitmotif for the British Army in the Second World War. They start the war needing to catch up quite a lot. They're a little bit behind the times. So they need to get better, but by the end of the war, they're really pretty good. And what's interesting about the Sherwood Rangers' yeomanry is they end up as the single unit in the British Army with more battle honours than any other. Wow. Yeah.
0: Well, I'm going to read a little bit of Alamein to Zemzem by Keith Douglas, which is his account. This is um, him talking about radio practice in uh, in the in the. In the desert here we go each speaker has his own code name shortened after the initial netting calls to a letter and a number or simply a letter in the case of a control station we're quite inconsistent some of these letters change daily some never change some are codes some simply initials or christian and nicknames which gave us away to the enemy more often than anything else all these disguises are used and changed according to whim The enemy who wants to find out what kind of formation we are and if he has seen us before and a great many smaller details is not much deceived by our mysterious asides but this we are not to find out until later. Piccadilly Jim is accustomed to say and in sanguine moments we believe him that we have a good wireless discipline. This should mean that no one interrupts or speaks at unnecessary length and that every vital message gets through in one. In fact It means that we keep off the air when Piccadilly Jim is speaking while he interrupts, dilates or ignores messages entirely. No one ever interrupts or ignores him. For this offence, no stress of battle except death is an excuse. (laughs) The result of this is clearly that whatever happens, Piccadilly Jim retains absolute control of the air and therefore of the regimental group. It may mean that he misses important information. There are painful moments when a somewhat facetious conversation of Jim's Oh, there you are, nuts orange. That's just where I want you. I'm very pleased to see you. Look, I'm waving to you. I'm taking off my hat to you. I'm blowing you a kiss. Uh, over? And the required reply. Nuts orange, uh, okay. Off. Drown an anxious message. King two, acts, six enemy tanks advancing towards me on my right. They're out of my range. Could George ever go at them? Over. But in general, Piccadilly Jim is given a good idea of anything which is happening outside his own vision by the Crusader Squadron. For the first appearance of the enemy, a crusader troop leader, well out in front of the regiment, sees and hears the whole action, almost as if it were a pageant prepared for his entertainment. For hours on end, it may continue to be exciting in quite an impersonal way. He sees a suspicious blob on the horizon, halts his squat turret, almost level with a ridge, and scrutinises the blob through his glasses. Pressing the switch of his microphone, releasing it a moment to see if someone else is talking, and pressing it again, he says, King 2, something that looks like a tank to my front, about three miles, I'm on your right, over... King two, okay. Off to you, uh, King. Did you hear King two's message? King, yes. Let him keep bumming on, but be cautious. Off, says Piccadilly Jim to Edward. King one, says Edward, calling the squadron. Slow down a bit and have a good look from hull down before we go swanning off over ridges. Over. Two, okay. Off. Three, okay. Off. Four, okay. Off. King two, three, four, okay. Off to you, King five. Did you get my last message? King five, yes. Over. King five, well, bloody well, wake up and acknowledge. Off. Off caps the rebuke like a telephone receiver being hung up. We have two main sources of illusion: horses and cricket. <laughs> Uncle Tom, what's going? What's what's the going like over this next bit? Can we bring the uh, unshod horses over it? <laughs> Uncle Tom, I'm just going over beaches myself. You want to hold them in a in a bit and go carefully, but after that, it's good going for the whole field. <laughs> King Do Ack says someone who has broken a track. I shall need the farrier. I've cast a shoe. Someone else is having trouble with my horse's insides. Could I have the vet? <laughs> Metaphor changes. King 2, somebody's throwing stones. I can't see where from. Yet, over. And a little later, Piccadilly Jim asks, King 2, now that that chap has retired to the pavilion, how many short of a full team are you? As the action goes on, metaphors, direct speech, codes, sequences of messages are intermingled until a good deal of concentration is needed to disentangle them. King 2, there are a couple of 88s on that grey ridge to my right. One is near the brew up, and the other to the left of about two degrees. Over. King 2, okay, off to you, Orange Pip. Can you see those 88s of King 2s? Over, George 4, is that a vehicle moving in the front right? Over, Orange Pip, yes, getting gunfire on now. Over, George 4, yes, I reported it just now over George 4 can you bring fire on it King if you have you anything to report over George one of your children came up in the middle of my transmission just then when I was trying to talk to King it's most difficult and annoying and I won't have it <laughs> tell him to bloody well keep off the air when I'm trying to fight a battle <laughs> off uh, to you King King if you have you anything to report over King King signals over King 2 I think one of those guns is being towed away over King 2 or whoever that is get off the bloody air when I'm trying to talk to somebody off King King signals over King strength, niner, I'm sorry, I was talking to my jockey. Could you say again, over, and so
1: on. <laughs> Fantastic. Isn't it brilliant? Yeah. I remember reading that for the first time and absolutely just crying with yeah, laughter. It's a
0: very, very, I mean, this is a, this is a, this is a great book. I mean, um, he wrote this, it, it, this was written and published during the war, you know, but this is it was it, published before, before, Dito. before, yeah, before Dino. So this is, this is completely contemporary written in, in, in the moment, written at the time. That's what's so great about this book. Anyway, he's also a poet.
1: Yes, and the poetry is, um, it's profoundly moving, I've got to say. You know, that, that's obviously very funny. There are some very moving bits in the book as well. But the poems are of a, you know, I think he ha- does have a touch of the black dog. Um, yeah. And well, he might, um, after what he's gone through. But, but this, is, this is an amazing poem. And it doesn't matter how many times I read it. I always find it incredibly, um, it just really, really gets me. Um, it's called Nicked." which, as all you German speakers will know, means forget-me-not. Three weeks gone and the combatants gone, returning over the nightmare ground, we found the place again and found the soldier sprawling in the sun, the frowning barrel of his gun overshadowing. As we came on that day, he hit my tank with one like the entry of a demon. Look, here in the gun pit spoil, the dishonoured picture of his girl, who has put Steffi vergismainicht in a copybook Gothic script? We see him almost with content, abased, and seeming to have paid and mocked at by his own equipment that's hard and good when he's decayed. But she would weep to see today how on his skin the swart flies move, the dust upon the paper eye, and the burst stomach. Like a cave. For here the lover and killer are mingled, who had one body and one heart, and death, who had the soldier singled, has done the lover mortal hurt. Hmm. And actually, he did a sketch of that soldier. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Which is in Alamein to Zemzem. And. You know, you can't uh, you can't read the poem without the image coming to mind, and yeah. he just does it so vividly. It's um, fantastic. It's heartbreaking, writing, isn't it, Keith Douglas? And yes. kind of course, about a German soldier, not a British. Yep. Yeah. Well, at eleven o'clock on the eleventh of
0: November, nineteen eighteen, the guns of the First World War fell silent. One hundred and one years ago, and the first ever two-minute silence actually took place on this day in nineteen nineteen. A hundred years ago, precisely. Goodbye from us.
1: Yep. Goodbye.